right, well, we have finally reached the end of our 2020 series. And so however you prefer, uh, you can uh, open your Bibles or Bible apps to the very last chapter of the Word of God, and that is Revelation 22. Um, special thanks for everybody who filled in um, last week while we were gone. Uh, our, our trip was, uh, it, it was really good. It was not without challenges. For those of you who don't know, we uh, were invited to, uh, to Montecito, California, where we uh, taught at a, uh, an Arabic, the Arabic Community Church, uh, their, their church conference. Uh, it, it was not without challenges. As soon as we got there, uh, we found out that our contact, the people we had been talking to, uh, getting ready for uh, the weekend, and they had COVID, and so uh, they were out. Uh, and now, now, mind you, this church just lost their pastor to COVID, and so um, it's it's a little bit a um, little bit heavier than it might be to uh, to some other churches. But uh, man, overall, man, just a, a, a beautiful people who love the Lord. I think the highlight for me was um, I think it was Sunday night. We all got together, and uh, we we're just. For, for a worship service, and so uh, I'm, I'm singing in English, and they're singing in Arabic, and uh, just lifting up the name of Jesus, and so uh, we are connected, I mean, honestly, we have nothing really in common, much much more than we live in America, but we love Jesus, and, and, and Jesus brought us together, and it was uh, just a picture of what, I, I believe, what heaven will be like. Uh, when we're singing in multiple languages to uh, our one God. Uh, so uh, here we are back in Revelation. I want to thank you all for uh, your prayers and your uh, contributions to that, that trip. Um, just like we saw last time, uh, we thought it was the end, but now we have a new beginning. And God brings everything to completion. All things will be made new. Sin and its effects will be removed. Revelation 21, 3-5 says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Chapter 21 speaks of a new heaven, and a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. Uh, we were reminded once again that we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And those who do will finally experience what has been waited for by God's people ever since the beginning of time. Revelation 22, 1, he showed me a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal, Proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. Most of us have probably traveled to a city built on a river. Uh, there are some beautiful places that I've been to. I think of uh, Herman, Missouri, Gatlinburg, even St. Louis. Now, if you go to any of these cities or cities like them, there will almost always be signs near the river that say, uh, don't play in the water. Don't drink the water because the construction around the river has contaminated. Sewage has drained into the river, but it will not be like that in heaven. Notice this river is pure, a word that means unstained with guilt of anything. It is spotless. It is 
blameless. See, when, when the source is pure, the river is pure. And you cannot find anything more pure than this source. It is the throne of God and the Lamb. Now, sometimes in the Word of God, water represents the Holy Spirit. So whether this is an actual river or it's symbolic, either way, this river is pure. Uh, verse, verse 2, in the middle of its streets, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So this, this tree of life that was guarded by an angel warrior at the fall of man in Genesis 3, now all the citizens of heaven are given access to its abundant variety of fruit. Now when I read uh, the leaves of the trees were for healing the nations, I began to wonder, okay, so why do the nations need to be healed? They're already in heaven. Well, uh, the English word therapeutic comes from the Greek word for healing here. So the nations are already healed by the healer. Now the therapeutic leaves of this tree make life in heaven even more satisfying and more full. I love the first six words of verse 3. Maybe uh, the best promise in this entire book of Revelation other than Jesus coming quickly. And there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no more curse. The curse that sin brought. The curse that is the source of every frustration, every sickness, every lack of resource, every disappointment, every thorn, every death. The same curse. It will be no more. And I don't know about you, but I look forward to the day when the curse will be no more. In fact, I'd be okay if the curse was removed right now. But let us not forget curse was all part of God's plan. Uh, we know and love Romans 8:28. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. But in context, Romans 8 is speaking of the curse. Uh, look at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings these sufferings are a result of the curse. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. In other words, creation was cursed, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in, what's the next word? Hope. Because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly await for it with perseverance. Eagerly await for the curse 
be lifted. You can write this down if you're taking notes. The curse was part of a plan to bring hope. It was all part of a plan to bring hope. Every frustration, every sickness, every lack of resources, every disappointment, every death should stir up the hope within us that this world is not our home. And one day, God will make all things new and he will redeem the curse and it will be no more. Verse 5, there shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. So John is describing what has been described in other places in Scripture as an incorruptible inheritance. And that includes safety. Safety, just like, just like we saw last, last time. The gates of this city never close because there's no threat of an invasion by an enemy. This inheritance comes with peace. This is what we look forward to. Safety and peace and the presence of God. The former things are passed away. No more struggle, no more pain, no more sickness, no more tears, no more death, no more disappointment. It will be all good all the time. And this is the hope of heaven. This is the hope of the glorious new Jerusalem designed to reflect the glory of God, a brilliant and vivid light display like never seen before. The curse of sin will be done away with. Warren Wearsby said this, Heaven is not just a destination. It's a motivation. It's not just our destination. It's our motivation. It's not just a place that we long to be when this life is over. It's a motivation for us to continue to live like God has called us to so that we can enjoy heaven the best way possible for all eternity. It's the message we've seen throughout our study. Jesus is coming back. Be ready. Again, verse 5, there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God, excuse me, verse 3, the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him. Church, that will be the purpose, that will be our purpose in heaven, to serve God. Our purpose in heaven is to serve God. It's a reminder that if you don't like serving God now, you may not like heaven, because that's what we're going to be doing. Think about that for just a moment. What does it say about a person's heart who claims to know God through Jesus, but then will not serve him? I think it means we're too distracted. I think it means we're too preoccupied. We're too busy with stuff that will not outlast this world. But when we serve God, that's the stuff that will last. There are always opportunities to serve. It doesn't have to be in the church. Uh, you should serve God outside these walls, but it most certainly can be in the church. And there are many opportunities to serve here. How has God wired you? What passions do you naturally have? How could you use those to serve Him? When we do serve here, it's a little picture of what heaven will be like. It's a little picture of His kingdom coming. So the question becomes, how will God end His book 
and in so doing, in time as we know it. If you are able, please stand out of respect for the Word of God. As we pick it up in Revelation 22, verse 6. Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angels to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And then he said to me, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant. And of your brethren, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Lord, bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. So a couple of things that I would like to highlight in this section of, of Scripture here. The first one is God's Word. It's God's Word. Number one on your outline. Now, we recognize the Bible as God's Word. There in verse 6, it's described as faithful. It means that it can be relied on. And then it's described as true, which is defined as opposite of what is imperfect, defective, or uncertain. And so this applies to the book of Revelation, but it also, the entire word of God, from one cover to the next. Uh, we will see in verse eight, verses 18 and following, it's not one or the other, it's both and. In other words, we cannot apply this truth, the, the label of faithful and true, to just parts of the word of God. We can't just take parts of God's word that we like and forget the rest. It is a package deal. And I can, I can be honest, if I'm honest with you, uh, there are parts of God's word that I really don't like, but it is still faithful and it is still true. All of God's words are faithful. All of God's word is true. It can be relied on. It is perfect. It is certain. I'll never forget, I'll always have in my mind, my pastor growing up, every time he would refer to the word of God, inerrant and infallible. It means it is without error, and it is even incapable of, of any error. And church, let us not forget, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is the Word? Say it out loud. Who is the Word? It's Jesus. So the same is true of Him. He can be relied on. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is certain. Jesus is without error. Jesus is incapable of error. Do you know him like that? Do you know the word of God like that? Because they're both connected. And when you dive deeper into the word, you get to know the word. And so the first highlight in these verses is the word, and it leads to number two, the word blessed. So then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. In verse 7, behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now, by now, most of us are familiar with that word blessed. 
It's the same word that Jesus used in Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes. It's a word that translates as happy, but I think a better idea is that it communicates a God-given joy. You will have a God-given joy when you mourn, because you'll be comforted. You'll have a God-given joy when you're meek, because you'll inherit the earth. We've seen it in Revelation as well. Maybe you have, have noticed it, maybe you haven't. Verse 1, chapter 3, Jesus said, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Remember, it's the only book that comes with a specific promise of blessing when read. And so now in Revelation 22, 7, blessed is he who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. And so you can write this down. When you read it, you'll be blessed. When you keep it, you'll be blessed. Now consider how anti-cultural these instructions are today. Read the word of God. Keep the word of God. To the world in which we live, it's completely upside down. Just like the Beatitudes are in the Sermon on the, on the Mount. Notice there are five more in Revelation so-called Beatitudes, and each one is countercultural. Revelation 14, 13, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. See, the world puts zero value on being in Christ. But God's faithful and true word says that we will have God-given joy when we die in Christ. And so we're blessed when we are in Christ. Revelation 16, 15, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. It's a call for us to not be caught off guard the day Jesus returns. I think we will all agree there are going to be a lot of people caught off guard when God says it's time. So the promise is we'll have God-given joy when we are ready. We'll be blessed when we're ready. Revelation 19.9, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Remember, that's the thousand year celebration after the wedding. Most of our world places absolutely no value in it, but God's word says it will be a time of great joy and great celebration. Revelation 26, blessed and holy is he who is a part, has a part of the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. This resurrection is for those who have died in Christ. And we'll see one more promise of blessing later on in chapter 22. Now what an encouragement this would have been for the original readers. And what an encouragement it should be for you and I. The promise of God-given joy that comes through His word and His ways for those who are ready for His coming. The foundational truth that we've seen throughout our study. Jesus is coming back. Now we see it's to make all things new. Are you ready for his return? We become ready by living holy lives separate from the world. And that's when we're blessed by God and given a joy from him that supersedes all our circumstances. We get to verse 12. It's as if John just hands the pen over to Jesus, and he begins the narration. He says a second time, verse 12, Behold, I am coming quickly. 
My reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. This is about the third time we've seen this name of Jesus, Alpha and Omega, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. It means Jesus is sufficient, and in saying them, Jesus is identifying himself as God. And at this point, uh, there will be no questioning that. But it means that Jesus has the resources to do what he says and to reward everyone according to their work. We can be sure that he will do what he says he will do. 1 Corinthians 3, it speaks of building on the foundation of Jesus and the reward that will follow. Notice what verse uh, 12 says. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Okay, so Paul's talking about what's happening here in Revelation Gold, silver, and precious stones, they will make it through a fire, but wood, hay, and straw will not. So he's writing about Jesus testing our works by fire. Some, some of the things we've done on this earth, when passed through fire, it will be like wood, hay, and straw. It'll be burned up. But some will be like gold, silver, and precious stones, and those will be rewarded. I wonder how much of what we spend our time on, Jesus will see as wood, hay, and straw. All the work we do to try to get more money so we can buy more stuff and live more comfortably, it's not going to survive the test of fire from Jesus. It's not going to earn those rewards that Jesus is sufficient to give. So let this be a motivation to work for God's glory, to serve Him both inside and outside the church. Then we can look forward to the reward. That's the next blank on your outline. When we serve God, we can look forward to the reward. In verse 14, we see that word blessed again. Blessed are those who do His commands. They may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. So, so notice your outline there. Uh, we highlighted God's word, promise to bless when we read it, when we keep it, when we die in Christ, when we live ready. Now we see we're blessed when we obey it. We're blessed when we obey it. Verse 15, outside are dogs. That's a metaphor for a man of impure thoughts. Dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral, murderers and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Now those are interesting names, aren't they? But we know in the word of God every name has a meaning. The root and the offspring of David is referring to the covenant that God made with David in 2 Samuel 7. 
In context, David went home to his lush kingly palace and he began to have a sense of guilt that he was living in luxury, but God was still living in a tent. And so David said, uh, I'm going to build God a house. And through his prophet Nathan, God came the next day and said, uh, you know what? I don't need you to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. Your house and your kingdom will be established forever. You will never lack a king on the throne. And throughout the years and throughout the, the, word, the pages of his word, God reaffirms that promise. Jeremiah 33, 17, for thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. In Haggai chapter 2, the same promise is made to Zerubbabel, a many, many greats grandson of David who turned out to be a many, many greats grandpa of Jesus. All that to say, when Jesus says he is the root and offspring of David, it tells us that God keeps his promises. You can write that down. God keeps his promises. He does what he says he will do. Hebrews 1.3, it calls Jesus the brightness of the glory of God. Uh, notice he was called the bright and morning star there in verse 16. 2 Corinthians 4.6, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Throughout the word of God, light and Jesus are synonymous. And so when Jesus calls himself the bright and morning star, he is telling us, hey, listen, it's me. I am Jesus, the same Jesus of the Gospels, the same Jesus hated by the Pharisees, the same Jesus nailed to the cross and buried in a borrowed tomb, the same Jesus who was raised from the dead, and now I will reign over all. And so now we agree with verses 17 through 21. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Church, hear the grace in his words. He mercifully invites all who will listen to come. An invitation that still rings true today. All who are thirsty, all who are weak, come. An invitation to you if you don't know him. Verse 18, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of the prophecy of God, God shall take away his part from the book of life. From the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies of these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Church, think about this. We started this series two and a half years ago. If you'd have told me that it would take him this long to get through it, I, I may not have believed you. That was in December of 2019. Think how much our world has changed in that amount of time. Listen, our God hasn't changed a bit. Just a short amount of time, our world has changed, but our God does not. When we started, um, 
We were tracing the gospel from one cover to the next. Here we are finally to the next. And hopefully you can see that. And from Genesis 3, from the very fall of man, even before that, when, when God created, we, we, we now know Jesus was there and all throughout gospel, never giving up love of God. It was never an afterthought. It's always been the plan to redeem you and I. And I trust the word of God has spoken to your heart like it's spoken to mine. Listen, in a, in a crowd this size, it's very possible that there are some who don't know Jesus as, as your Savior. So the invitation is here. Come. All who are thirsty, come to Jesus. Because he's the only one that can get you through every stage of life to the end and through eternity. I want to I share with you a song. And the, the, the words will be on the screen. It's called the Hymn of Heaven. I think it's an appropriate way to, to end the series. If you turn your attention to the screen. How I long leave the air of heaven Where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets To look upon the one who bled to save me with him for all eternity there will be a day when all will bow before him there will be a day when death will be no more standing face to face with
A thousand generations Sing worthy is the Lamb who was slain And on that day We join the resurrection And stand beside the heroes of the faith With one voice A thousand generations Sing worthy is the Lamb who was slain Forever He shall to that day. So we, we, we know that there may be some here who, who don't know the Lord as their Savior. Let it be today. You begin to shout the hymn of heaven. What if today was the day of salvation for you? But there are likely many here who, who know the Lord and have known Him for years. Maybe you're just discouraged. The study of Revelation, the study of His Word, just tells us it's worth it. This is where faith comes in, when it's hard, when it's discouraging, when we don't know if we can continue, and we wonder if it really is worth it. We, we fight through these doubts. That's where faith comes in. One of these days, it'll be worth it. Are you living like God calls you to live? A holy life that if Jesus were to come back right now, would you be ready for him? Or would there be things in your life that you would just be so ashamed of? And he gives you the opportunity right now to confess those, turn from them.
God said to you this morning through his word, song, through his Holy Spirit. What are you going to do about it? Lord, we thank you for your word and how it speaks to our hearts. And we ask you uh, just to continue to give us the strength. Lord, if there are any here who don't know you, may today be the day of salvation. Lord, if there are any here who are not living like they should, may today be the day that we turn back to you and see your arms open wide, just waiting for us to turn, repent from our sins, turn back to you. Lord, for those who are here, know you, and continue in faith even when discouraged, Lord, help us to keep on. Help us to press on that we would be ready when you come because we believe your word and it says you are coming. We need you, Lord. Give us the strength. In the awesome name of Jesus, we pray. We're going to do that first, weren't we? Yeah. Come on up. Come on up, Jacqueline. Uh, so turn in your Bibles or Bible apps to Revelation chapter 22. And uh, as uh, many of you know, uh, we were gone out of town last week, and we had the invitation to go and uh, teach in California for the Arabic Community Church uh, conference. And so uh, Jacqueline was, was a part of that. And so I've asked her to come and just give some highlights. And uh, then I'm going to tell you a little bit about it as well. So Jacqueline, thank you. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you for um, letting us be gone and for your support and encouragement and your prayers. Um, so for those of you who don't know, I, myself and my husband, Nathan, have been on a couple of mission trips in the past to the Middle East, to Lebanon and to um, Jordan. And so we have a relationship with the Christian Arabic community. And so that's kind of where we kind of fell into all of this, sort of. But um, the things that you might be interested to know, so the conference is an annual conference that they have every year. They've been having it, I believe, 20 plus years. And so there were about 100 or so participants, which is less than normal because their church lost their pastor back in October to covid so they had a conference in September that we had been invited to attend, and we prayed and felt that the Lord would not have us go in September. And little did we know, three weeks later, this church would lose their pastor. And so um, they have had a very, very difficult season uh, the last few months. And so what we understood our mission to be was to go and to really encourage this church and, and try to build them up. And so that's what, by the power of the Spirit, that's what we attempted to do. And I'm telling you, it was hard. It was a very, very hard um, mission to be on when people are grieving and you're going in to, to teach them and build them up. But it was hard for that reason, and it was also hard because they are Middle Eastern. There were families, it was family units, um, the family is is very important um, in the Arabic culture. And so we were speaking to people from Lebanon, Jordan, Syria, Iran, Iraq, and Armenia. Um, all of these families were originally from one of those countries. And so I was curious to see how you, how you mesh an Arabic Middle Eastern culture with a Californian 
culture, because California is its own thing. <laughs> and so when you put those two together, it was a very interesting vibe, and it was, it was a challenge for us. But what we were um, able to do during the conference, and it was a full schedule, these people are so committed um, to the Lord and to their faith. They started at seven in the morning with prayer and they ended as late as they could stay up. Yeah. And one at the second night, they were having a, do you remember that word? A sarah. A sarah? Yeah. Okay. A sarah. We don't know. And it was like a testimony service and worship. And it was about 1030 and the leader got up and he was speaking Arabic and we have, we're always like, what are they saying? What are they saying? We spend a lot of time saying that. What are they saying? What are they saying? And they were asking if they wanted to keep going, and they were all, like, cheering, and they were so excited to be there. And we were like, I think we get to go to bed now. And they were like, what are they saying? And they are like, they want to keep going. And we were like, oh, good, okay. And they just, um, what he has done for them is not lost on them. They worship fully. They grieve fully. They support one another fully, and it was just a blessing to be with them. The highlight, one of the highlights for, for me personally, um, was that night. They had, by then they had realized that Jessica can sing, that Jim was leading worship with the youth. We were with the youth and with the women. Um, I got to do a couple sessions with the women through an interpreter. And um, they had asked Jessica and Jim to lead worship. And about, I guess, the third song that they did, Jim had one of their worship leaders come up, and she sang in Arabic, the same song that he was singing in English, and it was just such a powerful moment. People were, it was just incredible um, to worship the same God, the same Christ, through the same song in different languages. Um, The kingdom of God is so big, and the spirit of God is so powerful. It was just a really, it was a highlight um, for me, and I'm so glad that they got to experience that. It was just, it was amazing. Um, the thing that I'm taking away, there are many, many things as I was thinking about this this morning, that personally I, I'm taking away from this and that God is working out in me, is the cultural part. Um, Jessica and I especially were able to minister to the young women and there were there were several there, but there were three there. One is getting ready, so she was much just going to Yale in the fall. So she was a lot smarter than me. So that's always hard to minister to people who are smarter than you. Uh, and these other girls, they were just so intelligent, but they opened up to us about the Arabic culture and how they have never felt comfortable asking questions, especially as women, as girls in their culture, and they've never been able to really ask questions to really be involved in ministry in their churches. And so they just asked us question after, I mean, hard questions. And they began to share with us how their, the culture of their church is impacting their faith. And the truth is, they don't see their own culture So the Arabic people don't realize how much of of their culture is affecting their Christianity. And what I want to propose to us, to myself, is that question, how much of our 
Western American easy, casual church culture. How much of that is impacting our Christianity? And not in a good way. Is our faith, are the things that we do as a congregation, as a church, as families, are they truly rooted in Scripture, in the kingdom work of God? Or are we being influenced by what we know, by what's familiar? Because we were blessed to be born in this country. And I'm really wrestling with that. And that's my takeaway because it's a, it's a blind spot. We don't see it. It's easy to see looking at somebody else. It's hard to see looking at ourselves. And so that's my challenge to us as a church. But um, there were so many stories we could tell. Um, they love to share their stories and what God has done for them the way he pulled them out of some really crazy situations and and planted them in the United States, but we'll save that for another day. But thank you so much for your prayers, and um, I would encourage you to just, if you're curious, talk to Jessica, myself, Nathan, Jim, and we'd be happy to share with you. Uh, God is good, and he's he's so much better than we think he is, honestly. He really is. We do appreciate your uh, prayers and your support. Uh, appreciate uh, TJ filling in last week and Kevin. And uh, it's just uh, very nice when uh, I don't have to worry about things back home and I can uh, continue to do what God uh, is asking me to do, you know. So um, I, I hope to, uh, to to present some of the teaching that we took with us uh, starting next week. So uh, give you an idea. We we were we were looking at the church. I mean, she may have said that already, but um, man, why is it important? Why why does it matter that we're here? I mean, more than more than any other organization, why is this one so important? Why has God chosen this to, um, to to play such a role in His kingdom work? And so uh, that's that's where we're going after we complete uh, today. Hopefully, if the Lord uh, will will allow us to. So Revelation 22, we have finally made it to the very last book of the last chapter in God's Word. The last time we were here two weeks ago, uh, just when we thought it was the end, we see a new beginning as God brings everything to completion and all things will be made new. Sin and its effects will be removed. Revelation 21, 3 through 5, behold, The tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. You might recall chapter 21, it speaks of a new heaven, a new earth a new Jerusalem, we were reminded once again that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And those who do will finally experience what God's people have been waiting for since the beginning of time. Revelation 22.1, we read it last time, but this is where we start today. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, most of us have probably been to a city 
that has been built on a river. I th- there are beautiful cities that I've been to. I think of uh, Herman, Missouri, uh, Gatlinburg, even, even St. Louis. They're all built on rivers. And if you go there and you go down to the river, you will almost inevitably see a sign at some point that says, don't play in the water and don't drink the water because all the construction around the river has made it impure. Sewage has seeped in and it really is nasty. But when we get to heaven, it will not be like that. Notice uh, this river is described as pure. That word means unstained with the guilt of anything. It is spotless. It is blameless. See, when the source is pure, the river is pure. And you cannot find anything purer than the source. It is the throne of God and the Lamb. Sometimes in the Word of God, uh, water represents the Holy Spirit. So whether this is an actual river or symbolic, either way, the river is pure. Verse 2 says, In the midst of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruit, each yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So the tree of life that was guarded by an angel warrior after the fall of man in Genesis 3. Now all the citizens of heaven are given access to its abundant variety of fruit. If you're like me, when you heard uh, the leaves of the tree were for the healings of the nations, I wondered, okay, so why do the nations need healing when they're in heaven? Well, we get our English word therapeutic uh, from this Greek word healing here. So think of it like that. The nations are already healed by the healer. Now the therapeutic leaves of the tree of life Make life in heaven even more satisfying and full. Love the first six words of verse 3. It may be the best promise uh, in the whole chapter, uh, the the whole book. It says this, And there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. They shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no more curse. Referring to the the curse that sin brought. The curse that is the source of every frustration, every sickness, every lack of resources, every disappointment, every thorn, every death. That same curse is no more. Now I don't know about you, but I look forward to the day when the curse is lifted. In fact, I wish it would be be removed right now, but let us not forget the curse was part of a plan. And we know and love Romans 8.28. It says, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes. But in context, it speaks of the curse. Romans 8.18. I consider that the sufferings, which are a result... Of the curse. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us. For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. In other words, creation was cursed, not willingly, but because of him who subject, subjected it in. What's the next word? Say it out loud. What's the next word? Hope. Because the creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption or the curse into the glorious liberty of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. Why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. The next blanks on your outline. The curse was a part of a plan to bring hope. The curse was a part of the plan to bring hope. Every frustration, every sickness, every lack of resources, every disappointment, every death should stir within us as God's people a hope. This world is not our home and God one day will make all things new. He will redeem the curse and it will be no more. Verse 5, there shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. John is describing what has been called in other places in scripture an incorruptible inheritance. So notice what heaven brings. First it brings safety. Just like we saw last time in chapter 21, the gates of this new city, they never close because there's no threat of an invasion of an enemy. Heaven comes with peace, a peace that that passes understanding. It comes with the presence of God. The former things have passed away. There will be no more struggle. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sickness or tears or death or disappointment. It will be all good all the time. This is the hope of heaven. This is the hope of the glorious new Jerusalem designed and built to reflect the glory of God in a brilliant and vivid light display like never seen before. The curse of sin will be done away with. Warren Wearsby said this, heaven is not just a destination. It's a motivation. Heaven is not just a a, a destination. It is a motivation. It's not just the place that we long to be when this life is over. It's a motivation for us to continue to live this life like God calls us to live so that we can enjoy heaven the best way possible for all eternity. It's the message we've seen throughout our study in Revelation. Jesus is coming back. Be ready. Verse 3 again, there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. See our, our purpose, what our purpose will be in heaven. It will be to serve God. You can write that down. Our purpose in heaven will be to serve God. It's a reminder, if you don't like serving God here in this life, then you may not like heaven because that's what we're going to be doing. What does it say about our hearts when we're not willing to serve God? We claim to know Him through Jesus, but we're just not willing to serve Him. It means, it says that we're too distracted. It says we're too preoccupied. It says we're too busy with stuff that will not outlast this world. When we serve God, That's the stuff that will last. There are always opportunities to serve. It doesn't have to be in the church. You should serve God outside these walls, but it most certainly can be in the church. 
And there are many opportunities here. How has God wired you? What passions do you naturally have? How could you use them to serve Him? When we do serve here, it's like a little picture of heaven. It's a little picture of of His kingdom coming. So the question becomes, how will God end this book? And in so doing, end time as we know it. If you're able, please stand out of respect for the Word of God as we read Revelation 22, 6 through 11. Hear the Word of the Lord. Then He said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent His angel to show His servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And then he said to me, see that you do do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and your brethren the prophets, and of your brethren the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book worship God. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. So just a a couple of things that I'd like to highlight in this passage, this section of scripture. And the first is, number one on your outline, it's the word of God. The Word of God, God's Word. Now, we recognize all the Bible as God's Word. And there in verse 6, God's Word is described as faithful. And that word faithful means that it can be relied on. It's also described as true, which is defined as opposite of what is imperfect, defective, or uncertain. And so, His Word is perfect and certain. This applies to the book of Revelation, but also to the entire book from one cover to the next. We'll see in verses 18 and following that it's not one or the other, it's both and. In other words, we cannot just apply the faithful and true label to uh, just parts of the word. We can't just take parts of, the, of God's word that we like and, and forget the rest. It's a package deal. I mean, I... If I'm honest, I can tell you that there are parts of God's Word that I I wish were not there. But that doesn't make them any less God's Word. All of it is faithful. All of God's Word is true. All of it can be relied on. All of it is perfect. All of it is certain. I, I, I always remember my pastor growing up. Every time he referred to the Word of God, he said, inerrant and infallible. And I really had no idea what that meant as a kid, but I do now. It means it's without error, and it is incapable of even having error. This is the the Word of God that we have access to at our fingertips. The Word of God that we often neglect. Let us not forget, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who's the Word? Go ahead and say it out loud. Who is it? Jesus. That's right. And so what is true of the Word of God is also true of Jesus. 
he can be relied on. He is perfect. He is certain. He is without error. He is incapable of error. You know Jesus like that? Do you know the word of God like that? They're both connected. And when you dive into the word, you get to know the word. So the first highlight in these verses is the word, and it leads to the second one, which is the word blessed. Number two is blessed. Verse 6, then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now, by now, most of us are familiar with that word blessed. It's the same word that we see Jesus use in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes. It's a word that translates as happy, but I think the idea is better communicated as you'll have God-given joy when, and then Jesus adds a bunch of different things, when you mourn because you'll be comforted. You'll have God-given joy when you're meek, you'll inherit the earth. We've seen it in Revelation as well. Remember Revelation 1-3, Jesus said, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. It's the only book that comes with a promise of blessing when we read it. So now in Revelation 22-7, Blessed is he who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. So the next blank is on your outline. When you read it, You'll be blessed. You'll have God-given joy. When you keep it, you'll be blessed. Read it and keep it. Now consider how anti-cultural these instructions are today. Read the Word of God. Keep the Word of God. To the world in which we live in, that is just completely upside down. Just like the Beatitudes were uh, to the original audience and just like the Beatitudes are to us. There are actually five more so-called Beatitudes in Revelation, and each one is countercultural. Follow along with me as I read Revelation 14, 13. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Now, our world puts absolutely zero value in being in Christ, but God's faithful and true word says that we'll have God-given joy when we die in Christ. So we're blessed when we die in Christ. You can write that down. Revelation 16, 15. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. It's a call for God's people to not be caught off guard the day Jesus returns. And I think we can all agree, a lot of people are going to be caught off guard When God says, it's time, I'm sending you back. So the promise is we'll have God-given joy when we live ready. The next blank on your outline. We'll have God-given joy when we live ready. Revelation 19, 9. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now remember, we've seen that. That's the thousand-year celebration after the wedding. And again, most of our world places absolutely no value on it, but God's word says that it will be a time of great joy and great celebration. Revelation 26, blessed and holy is he who has a part in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power. This resurrection is for those who have died in 
Christ. And we'll see one more promise of blessing later on in chapter 22. But what an encouragement it would have been for the original readers. And what an encouragement it should be for us today. Promise of God-given joy that comes through His Word and His ways for those who are living ready for His return. Foundational truth that we've seen throughout our study. Jesus is coming back, and now we see it is to make all things new. Are you ready for His return? Become ready by living holy lives, separate from the world. That's when we're blessed by God and given a joy that supersedes all our circumstances. In verse 12, it's as if John just hands the pen to Jesus and he starts the narration. Notice he says for a second time, Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. This is about the third time that we've seen these names of Jesus, Alpha and Omega, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. It means that that Jesus is sufficient, and in saying them, Jesus is identifying himself as God. And at this point, there will be no questioning that. It means that he has the resources to do what he says he's going to do. He has the resources to reward everyone according to their work. And we can be sure that he will do what he says he'll do. 1 Corinthians 3, it speaks of building on the foundation of Jesus and the rewards that follow after that. Notice what it says in verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it. The day is the day Jesus comes back. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So what it's saying is, uh, gold, silver, precious stones, they will make it through a test of fire, but wood, hay, and straw will not. And so the Apostle Paul here in, in 1 Corinthians was writing about what Jesus is talking about in Revelation 22. He is going to test our works by fire, and some, like wood, hay, and straw, will be burned up, while others, like gold, silver, and precious stones, will be rewarded. Church, I wonder how much of our time do we spend on things that Jesus will consider wood, hay, and straw. All the work that we do to get ahead, to make more money so we can live more comfortably, it's not going to survive the test of fire from Jesus. It's not going to earn those rewards that Jesus is sufficient to give. Thus we are doing each and everything, every day, for His glory and not our own. So let this be a motivation to do just that. To work for God's glory, to serve Him both inside and outside the church. Then we can be looking forward to the reward. You can write that down. Serve God for His glory 
and look forward to the reward that Jesus brings. Verse 14, you see that word blessed again. It's the last one of the Beatitudes in Revelation. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Okay, so if you're, if you're taking notes there, notice the outline. We highlighted God's word and its promise to bless when we read it, when we keep it. Promise to bless when we, when we die in Christ, when we live ready. Now we see we're blessed when we obey. We're blessed when we obey. We'll have God-given joy that supersedes our circumstances when we obey. Verse 15, but outside are dogs. It's a metaphor for, for people of impure thoughts. Sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Now these are kind of strange names, but we know that in the word of God, names mean something. And the name of Jesus, the root and offspring of David, it's referring to the covenant that God made with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. In context, David went home to his lush, kingly palace, and he began to feel guilty that while he was going back to luxury, God was still dwelling in a tent. And so he just said, I'm going to build God a house. But through his prophet, God came back and said, listen, I don't need you to build me a house. Actually, I'm going to build you a house, and your house and your kingdom will be established forever. You will never lack a king on the throne. And throughout the, the years and the pages of his word, God reaffirmed that promise. Jeremiah thirty-three seventeen. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. Haggai 2, the same promise was given to Zerubbabel. A many greats grandson of David who turned out to be a many greats grandpa of Jesus. And so all of that to say, when Jesus says, I am the offspring and root of David, it tells us that God keeps his promises. You can write that down. God keeps his promises. Even if it takes a really long time for him to get to it. Hebrews 1.3, it calls Jesus the bright and morning star. Notice it said, he, he called himself the bright and morning star in, in, chapter, in verse 16. In 2 Corinthians 4.6, for it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Throughout the word, Jesus and light are synonymous and so when Jesus calls himself the bright and morning star, he's saying, listen, it's me. I am Jesus. I'm the same Jesus in the Gospels. I'm the same Jesus hated by the Pharisees. The same Jesus nailed to the cross and buried in a borrowed tomb. The same Jesus who raised from the dead. And now I will reign over everything. And so we, as God's people, agree with verses 17 through 21. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Hear the grace of God in his words. 
that he mercifully invites all who listen to come to him. It's an invitation that still rings true today. All who are thirsty, all who are weak, come to the only one who can fulfill and satisfy. Verse 18, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Church, when we, uh, when we started this series, it was two and a half years ago. It was December of 2019. Think about how much our world has changed since then. It's, it's a different world, isn't it? But listen, our God never changes. This, this world may spin out of control. Seems like it's spinning out of control. But our God, he's got the whole world in his hands, doesn't he? And when we started this, uh, this series, we, we, started, we, we were looking for the gospel from one cover to the next. I mean, it's, it's right there at the very beginning. It is all throughout. And hopefully you, you can see that in the gospel, it wasn't an afterthought. It's always been the plan. Jesus has always been the plan to redeem mankind. I want to share with you a song. It's called Hymn of Heaven just uh, gives us uh, an idea of what we have to look forward to.
join the resurrection and stand beside the heroes of the faith with one voice a thousand generations sing worthy is the lamb who was slain and on that day we join the resurrection and stand beside the heroes of the faith with one voice a thousand to that day, there will be a day. In a group this size, I know it's very probable that there are some who have not made that connection in their hearts with the Jesus that we worship and serve and and lift up and speak of here today. And so may, may the day of salvation be today, let it be today for you that you cry out to Him, and you ask Him to forgive you of your sins, and you make Him the, the Lord of your life. Let it be today. But I also know that there are many here who have been living the life of faith for a, for a long time. So, be encouraged here today. We have hope. That's what our faith is based on, that one day, there will be a day that we will worship with the saints and forever he shall reign. Let that motivate us to live the life that God has called us to, even through the doubts, even through the disappointments, let us stand on the firm foundation of the gospel of Jesus that unites cultures throughout time. 
Let us continue to live the life of faith. Lord, we invite you to come. And I lift up uh, all those who are here, who are who may be watching. Lord, that you would give us the strength we need to live the life of faith. Lord, that if you would return this moment, that there would be nothing in our lives, that we would be ashamed of even looking you in the eye, Lord. That we would confess, that we would live in your in your freedom. Live to tell others about what you've done in our lives. God, we thank you for this church. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel, that it was not ever an afterthought, but from one cover to the next, there's the story of Jesus. Let us live the story of Jesus. It's in his awesome name that we pray. Amen.